So this morning, we're continuing our series, The Leftovers. As we talk about those who may be leftovers or left outs inside the Bible, and we look at the leftovers or the left outs in our own life. You know, the outcasts, those that we've cast out. You know, we've cast them out or we've left them out of different situations. And throughout God's word, and, and you know, we see this time and time again. But we also see how leftovers will show up and show off for God. And although we may have pushed them out, they're still seeking Jesus and who he is. So today we're going to be looking at a parable that is, I think it's probably one of the most popular parables in the Bible. It can be found in Luke chapter 10. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, in many of us, it's well known. Um, it's possible, I think, is one of Jesus' best illustrations and greatest stories ever given in the Bible. And it's so well known, not only to Christians, but to non-Christians alike. Everyone knows the parable of the Good Samaritan. I mean, you think about it, it's even given, if we call someone a Good Samaritan, it's generally because they helped somebody out. They did a good deed, you know. So it's a good thing to be called, hey, you're a Good Samaritan. But unfortunately, I think because it's so popular and we hear it so much that we've missed what the parable is actually about, why the parable was actually given, um, why Jesus told it. I think we missed the truth of what it's about. I think we missed the reason why he said it. And to give you a little hint, the point of the parable is not about helping someone who is desolate and hurt. The point of the parable is actually how one inherits eternal life. And you may be sitting there saying, well, Pastor Ken, are you sure? Well, yeah, I am pretty sure because that's the question that started the whole conversation in the Bible. That's what started this whole conversation with Jesus. It's the beginning of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan is actually the answer and the conclusion to the question that was asked of Jesus. And I think what we see here is Jesus doing a little bit of evangelism to a tax, uh, to a, yeah, to a lawyer, to a um, expert in the law. You know, and, and I, I think it's, uh, this parable is very misunderstood because it is so popular among everybody. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 25 through 37. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, there is one in the back of the pew. The scripture will also be up here on the screen. And hey, if you're watching online today, whether it's Facebook or YouTube, thank you for joining us today online. Let's give it up for those watching online today. Hey, we want to thank you guys for it. And as a reminder, don't let this be a replacement of you being involved in a local church. You know, make sure you get connected to a local body of Christ someplace. It doesn't have to be here. Just make sure it's someplace so you can work on your relationship with others and your relationship with uh, Jesus Christ. We are glad you're here. And, but don't make this be something that keeps you away from a local church. So I encourage you to do that. So with that being said, let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Then the expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? 
He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify him at himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him and beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Heavenly Fathers, we take time in your word this morning, Lord. We just ask that you open up our hearts that we may receive what it is you want us to receive. And Lord, may my words glorify your name and we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So kind of give a little insight on what's going on here. I'm actually going to read the verses that happened just before this. And it's, I'm going to read verses 21 through 25, uh, 21 through 24, which actually said, at that time he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see the king that see the things you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things you see, but didn't see them, to hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. So you see, just prior to this, Jesus is teaching a crowd of people, and he's taking time with his disciples. And I think it's interesting that during this time, as, as he's teaching this, you get this expert of the law stands up. And as he stands up, he's going to it even says he's going to test Jesus. And I think it's interesting because he asked one of the greatest questions ever to be asked. Teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life. That is one of the best questions someone can ever, ever ask. And you got to understand, the Jews, this was something that they asked all the time. This was something at the forefront of their minds. You know, they knew the Old Testament promised eternal life in the presence of God. They knew it from their scripture. They, they knew what it said. But at the same time, they kind of knew themselves. 
They knew they were trusting in their religion. They knew they were trusting in their circumcision. They were trusting in their heritage. Or they were trusting in their religious beliefs as far as you know, what they did inside the temple through their offerings, through their traditions and their ceremonies. But still inside of them, there was something missing. And they were wondering, am I really going to get to have eternal life with God? So they knew something inherently was missing on the inside of them. And they always worried about, are we going to miss the kingdom? You know, am I going to miss the kingdom? I know I'm doing everything that I should be doing. And, and, and I know I'm doing this, but am I really going to get the kingdom? And you see this question asked time and time in the gospels. What do I do to gain, you know, for eternal life? And I think it's interesting that the way that the expert of the law puts this, you know, I think what we have to see here is the first thing in this story is that motives matter. The motives matter. You know, we know he came to test Jesus. So he's asking the greatest question anyone could ever ask. But his motive is wrong. He's asking it to try and set up Jesus to try and give them something to persecute Jesus with. So motives matter. You know, he stands up to test Jesus. He's asking this question, the same question that the rich young ruler asked, the same question that Nicodemus had in his heart, but they all had sincere intentions when they asked the question. Here, this expert of the law, this lawyer, is asking it to test Jesus. And I really like the way Jesus responds in verse 26. What is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? Jesus went right back to God's word. Just like in the temptation, when Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus went back to God's word and answered him. So now he's going to this expert of the law who should know the Old Testament and basically putting it back on him. What do you say it is? Yeah. What does the law say it is? You know, and he just puts it right back on him. You know, and you got to admit, this guy is pretty sharp. He knows the Old Testament well. He knows the law pretty well. He actually answers him with Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and Leviticus 18, uh, 19, 18. You know, and it's two familiar scriptures that basically the entire law is grouped into these two scriptures. And these scriptures, Jesus actually says in Matthew 22. And they're repeated here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And then we see Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do this and you'll have eternal life. Basically, hey, you know the law. You know what the law says. You got to love God perfectly. You got to love your neighbor as yourself. Do that and you can have eternal life. Boy, that sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? How many of you do that perfectly every day? All right, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> I was waiting, waiting for someone to raise their hand. I was going back up. <laughs> but you think about it, honestly, at this point, as us as believers, we'd be saying, there's no way I can do that. And that's exactly what this lawyer should have done. At this point in time, this lawyer should have said, hey, I can't love God perfectly like that. There's no way I can do that. There's no way I can love my neighbor the way I love myself. I just can't do that. I'm unable to do that. I can certainly try, but there's no perfect way that I can be holy like our Father is holy. Because none of us can be. We can try to be, but we can't. But I think it's interesting, instead of falling on his knees and crying, 
the lawyer comes back with the comment, you know, and who is my neighbor? Almost like he's trying to test Jesus. Well, maybe Jesus has a different version of what my neighbor should be. So instead of getting on his knees like the, like the uh, tax collector does in, when he's inside the temple and, you know, pounds on his chest and forgive me, Lord, for I am a sinner. He's going to continue his test. He's going to continue to provoke Jesus and ask, who is my neighbor? And I think it just shows that self-righteousness. He is so worried about making Jesus out to be someone that he's not. Trying to think, well, maybe he's got a different idea on a neighbor. I know the law. And if I catch him, we can persecute him because that's exactly what they were all trying to do. And he's oblivious to his own condition. He's oblivious to what he's going on. And, you know, just thinking, well, maybe he's got a different idea. And, you know, it's interesting when you think about it, because back in Matthew 5, Jesus actually says, you have heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, you love your enemies. You see, because one of the things that the Jews did is they made a line of, well, an enemy can't be my neighbor. So they drew that line that said, hey, if it's an enemy of ours, it can't be our neighbor. So therefore, I don't have to love them. If it's someone who's not like me or it's not one of my Jewish elitist friends and they're my enemy, I don't have to love them as my neighbor. So they kind of set this boundary. And even Jesus says, no, love your enemies. But they set this boundary of where they would go. And it's interesting that as the Jews did this, they seemed to forget what their own law told them. Because in Deuteronomy 10, 19, it says you are to love those who are aliens for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. So they were called to love everyone. Love was a requirement in the Old Testament. However, they took that love and they decided who it was, who they were going to love and who they weren't going to love. You know, so they basically redefined who their neighbor was. And I think we do that sometimes ourselves. We redefine who our neighbor is. Well, do I really have to love this neighbor? Because they're not like me. They don't go to the same churches I go to. They don't go to church at all. Well, you know, I, I don't like the bushes that got planted in their yard. So therefore, you know, I can't love them. They play music too loud. I don't like this. I don't like that. So we decide that, well, they're my enemies, but they're your neighbors. And we're called to love them. And I know I fail at this every day. So if I fail at it, I know I can't be the only one. Now, I know you guys are much better than I am. So I know you guys would never hate your neighbors. I'm just saying, I know you guys are better than me. <laughs> but you see this, you see this pride. You see the pride of this expert, basically, and who is my neighbor? You know, signifying just how he is, how incapable he was of really loving God for who God was and doing what God called him to do. You know, he thinks he loves God perfectly. He thinks he loves the people he's supposed to love perfectly. He thinks he's doing almost everything he should be doing. And he kind of, you know, and uh, the way I take this is him saying to Jesus, maybe you better tell me who my neighbor is, you know, with a little sarcasm involved in it. Because that's probably how I would have said it. You know, I would have had some sarcasm involved in it. And honestly, I think that's the way a lot of people feel about Christians. 
I think that's how people feel about us. They come sarcastically, you know, because they always feel that, do we really care about them? Do we really, are we showing a genuine care for everybody? Many of them are going to come to us and think we just have this agenda. Oh, they're just doing this so they can put it on Facebook. Oh, they're just doing this because they want me to say this prayer. They're just doing this because they want to look good or they're trying to do this by works. They don't really care for me. Because Christians are what? Hypocrites. Oh, you hypocrites. You're judgmental. We're just like the expert of the law. And that's how a lot of people see us as Christians. Because we really don't love our neighbor. We really don't love our enemies. And we need to change that. And I think it brings us to the second thing. And we see it here. We need to take a genuine interest. We need to take a genuine, genuine interest in others. Instead of just putting on this facade, instead of just trying to act Christianese, I like that, Christianese, you know, instead of just acting it, we need to truly be it all the time. We need to love our enemies, we need to love our neighbors, and not be like this expert of the law. And Jesus, we actually see, takes a genuine interest in this expert law. He very well could have just walked away. Many of us would have just walked away at this point. Hey, you got it right. You don't need to ask me who my neighbor is. And we would have left. But Jesus still took a genuine interest in him. Jesus took a genuine interest in this person. And instead of walking away, he begins to tell him the parable. Which actually got me thinking about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 and 21, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi actually says this. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who would generally, genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That's pretty sad that that's got to be in the Bible, isn't it? How many people do you know could be right there? All seek their own interests, especially in today's society. How about in, this own, in the church? In the church, people seeking their own interest instead of those of Jesus Christ. And it happens. It happens in churches across America, and we've talked about this numerous times, because we have become so commercialized, and so it's, we just got to be happy and make everyone happy in the U.S. Because we don't know what persecution is, and we just seek our own. We want our own interest. We've commercialized what church is about. And we've commercialized everything that Christianity has to offer in the U.S. And we seek ourselves and we try and be like the culture instead of changing the culture. All right, let me get off my soapbox. Let me come back. But I think it's sad that we see that. And the fact that we can actually see that in the churches today. You know, Jesus has this, he could have very well left this expert at the law just standing there. But he didn't. 
He showed love and he showed grace to this expert of law. And Jesus was about to give him one more opportunity, give him time to repent and give him time to change what he wanted to do. And I think this parable really gives us that answer, you know, because it's an unforgettable story that produces great conviction on us. You know, it's intended to be a story to teach believers how to live. It's how we should live as believers. You know, the story is told to a non-believer. It's told to a self-righteous expert of the law. And you think about this, we kind of wonder the same thing when, when we've got people in our own lives that we want to share the good news with. But it's hard to share the good news with them because we know they go to church. They're in church every day and, and they've been baptized and they say that they know who Jesus is. And they're living with that face mask on that I'm a Christian, I'm doing what God's word says, and, and I'm doing all these good things, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, but yet they're not doing what God's word says. On the outside, they appear to be a Christian. They're going through the motions, you know, that checklist. Hey, I went to church, I went to Bible study, I read God's word, I did this, oh, I helped these people, I helped these people. But then you did nothing else. You didn't love your neighbor. You didn't love your enemies. And a lot of people do that. They go to church and, you know, I've said it before, the day of the rapture, there's still going to be people sitting in church and going to be looking around going, why am I still here? Because we're like the expert in the law. We're doing it off our own self-righteousness and doing a checklist instead of doing it for what God called us to do. Being the person and the people that God called us to be as Christians. You know, when Jesus goes on, he, he ends up telling the story again. He says, Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra I spend. You see, we, one of the things that we see in this parable is that this man was in a desperate situation. And sometimes we catch ourselves in desperate situations. This man was in a desperate situation. He was on the side of the road, beaten, half dead, naked, had all of his clothes taken. He was in a bad condition. He was in, he was in a desperate situation. You know, this parable really is simple. It's simply a story of a man's journey down a dangerous road. That's what the story is about. And Jesus in verse 31, I think it's interesting, that a priest happened along. Suddenly there's got to be this glimmer of hope. Here comes a priest. That expert in law had to be going, oh yeah, here comes a priest. He's going to do the right thing. He should do the right thing. He's a priest. He's a godly man. but he walks on the other side. He walks away, passes on the other side, ignores the man, ignores him laying there on the road. He shuns him. He leaves him lying there. 
in that critical condition. The priest who himself probably felt very self-justified. Seems to be righteous by his actions. You know, he, he shows, but, you know, self-righteous. And I think his actions show they really didn't love God. He really didn't love others. So maybe he was just going through the motions. And there's some people that say, well, he was a priest and he couldn't touch him. He didn't know if the guy was dead, this, that, or anything else. You know, that I think it's reading too much into the story. Um, then Jesus said, a Levite comes along. This Levi comes along, but he does the same thing. He passes on the other side. So again, we see this glimmer of hope. We, we, we see this man. He's a religious man. He works in the temple. He works with the priest. He, he knows the law. He, he's going to do what's right. And you see this glimmer of hope coming. And he passes by. It's kind of like reading the book of Judges. This judge came along and they tore down all the temples and they started to raise up. And then what they do? Fall back. And the next one comes and the next one comes. And you're kind of like, come on, can you guys like get this right? And we see the same thing here. We see two people who were religious involved in the church, involved in the temple. Didn't care about the person laying on the ground. Showed no remorse, no love, no nothing at all. But then the story comes to its climax. The other person comes along, a Samaritan. A Samaritan comes along and he does what is right. He took pity on the man. He took pity on the man, took care of him, and even paid an innkeeper to watch over him. You know, so we don't have to really consider whether the Samaritan was a believer or not um, because of the story. What we see here is two men had no love, and one man did. Two men in this parable had no love whatsoever, and one man did. Two men were outwardly religious, and they had no love. Their religion did nothing for them at all. Absolutely nothing. While on the other hand, the Samaritan, who would be considered a leftover, had compassion and showed love. Because think about it, by the expert of the law, the Samaritan would have been considered an enemy. He would have been an enemy to the Jewish people. He was definitely a leftover, a left out, an outcast to the Jewish people. But he did what was right. So one of the things I think we see is the issue isn't of loving God and of loving our neighbors. It's not a matter of one's religion. Too many times we get caught up in our religion and I'm a religious person. I'm doing what's right. Are you really doing what's right in God's eyes or in your own? And it's something I think we got to look at. It's amazing that this is, um, you know, the story is kind of over the top with what the Samaritan does. Because you think about this Samaritan takes extra care of the person. You know, takes care of their wounds, takes them to a place, you know, an inn, provides money to take care of them. You know, it's pretty extravagant. It's something we do for ourselves, right? We do that for ourselves, but not for someone else. Think about it. We want the best of everything. If something's going wrong with us, we want the best doctors, right? We want the best health care. We want the best of everything in our own lives. But will we give the best of everything in our own lives to somebody else, to an enemy or someone that we don't know? 
Now, we may do it for a family member. We may do it for a friend, depending on how, how good of a friend they are. Because there's some friends are, you know, you keep your enemies close. <laughs> but we want the best of everything. And this Samaritan gave the best of everything to someone who's lying on the side of the road. A leftover. A leftover, a left out Samaritan stepped up to the game. When two people who should have stepped up didn't step up at all. You know, we, we might, like I said, we might do this for a friend. We might do it for a family member. And I like the way Jesus goes on. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Notice he changed your question. The original question was, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds by saying, this isn't about who your neighbor is. It's about, are you a good neighbor? It's not about who is my neighbor. It's about, are you a good neighbor? It's about forgetting to determine who qualifies for your love and demonstrating love with no qualifications. Because a lot of times we want to qualify who's going to get our love. Our job is to love everyone at all times. Sacrificially, generously, limitlessly, as long as there's a need. As long as there's a need, we should show that love. Jesus goes on and says, the, uh, the man says, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Jesus made his point. He, he placed that conviction out upon the man. And if you look in your Bibles, there's probably a space between line verse 37 and verse 38. There's probably a gap. Because it's kind of the end of one story and the beginning of another story. But it's interesting, it's blank because the very next line says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way. So at this point, we don't know what happened with the expert of the law. We know Jesus walked away. Jesus gave him the opportunity. He took a genuine interest in him, took a genuine interest in him, presented him with the gospel, presented him with, look, your self-righteousness isn't going to get you into heaven. You need to love your enemy. You need to love your neighbor. Asking basically, are you a good neighbor? He gave him the chance. And we don't know what this expert of the law did. I'm assuming the expert of the law went back to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Saying, oh, sorry, I didn't get him. He didn't get rid of that self-righteousness. He didn't bend down at the feet of Jesus and ask for mercy. Which at that point, he should have realized just how self-righteous he was. How wrong he was in his own life. How his religion wasn't doing anything for him. His religion wasn't going to save him. His religion was not going to take him back to the initial question, what do I need to do to have eternal life? He missed it. How many of us miss it? How many of us miss it in our lives each day? Understand, you know, it's not about social justice. It's not about doing good. You know, that wasn't the issue in this story. And it's not the issue today. It's about righteousness before God. Righteousness before God. Here was Jesus. He was ready to pour out his love, ready to pour out his mercy on this expert of the law. And he couldn't admit his own sinful condition. 
ready for everything to be poured out upon him and couldn't admit his own sinful condition. <clears throat> we all need to come to that mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. We need to come to it. We need to accept it. And I think that once we've realized that, that grace from Jesus, that, that grace and that love we get from him, we should give to others sacrificially. Whether we like them or not, whether they're our neighbors or our enemies, everybody's our neighbor. Everybody's our neighbor. And if a leftover can stand up and do what's right when two religious people could not, what should we learn from that? Are we like, just like the two, the priest and the Levite? Are we going to come across someone who's maybe left over down and out and hurt and just pass by on the other side of the street? Or are we going to show the love that this Samaritan showed? Jesus says, go and do this and you will have eternal life. You will live. So how are we live in our lives? See, this parable is not about making people feel guilty about not caring for the poor. It's not about making them guilty for not caring for those suffering. The parable was intended to make people feel guilty for not loving God perfectly. For not loving God perfectly. For not loving others perfectly while seeking the one who can love perfectly. And as we sit here and we go through this life and we say, you know, well, I can't love perfectly. No, you can't, but you can love. You can show that love. You can show more love than someone else shows. And we got to take them steps. We got to take them steps to be more like the Samaritan and be that loving neighbor than the religious elitist that we tend to be. Religion can get in the way of a lot of things. And remember, it's not a religion to be with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship because relationships matter. And our relationship with Jesus Christ should make us strive to have relationships with everyone we come in contact with. Showing love, showing kindness, showing compassion. Being who he called us to be. You know, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, well, pastor, I don't know Jesus. I don't know this Jesus guy. And pastor, I'm just waiting. I'm trying to be perfect because once I'm perfect, he'll accept me. Well, God's word says that we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. But yet while we were still sinners, God showed his love for us that he allowed Christ to die for our sins. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ, that God raised him, for, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple, but it's also that hard. The hardest thing is getting up out of the seat and coming forward and say, you know, I, I need Jesus in my life. And the second hardest part is when you go back out them doors and the world's still the same. Your friends are still the same. Your co-workers are still the same. The difference is you. 
When you accept Jesus Christ and you allow him to radically change your life, you will be the difference. You will be the one who shows love and compassion to everybody. When it's about a relationship and not about a religion. And we get too caught up in religion. And maybe you've been caught up in that religion. You've been caught up as, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm all about the law and I'm all about whatever it may be. And, you know, instead of it being about, I love Jesus. I love him the way he loves me. I'm imperfect, but I still love him. And maybe you've allowed religion to get in the way of you helping your neighbors. We're setting them borderlines of here's, here's all the good people and here are the enemies. Jesus doesn't have any enemies. He will show love to everybody. It's an opportunity for everyone. And we should be the same. Love everyone. Be that leftover. Because a lot of us inside the church are leftovers because we've been left out because, oh, they're them religious folk. Let's show them that what kind of leftovers we can be by being the hands and feet of Jesus in everything we do. Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning, Lord, and just humbled with your word. Lord, as much as I knew the Good Samaritan growing up, we know what the Good Samaritan is. Lord, looking into this and seeing that it's a way that we should live. It's a way to have eternal life and that we should live and not let it be about religion or religious policies and procedures, but let it be about you. That we would show that love and grace that you showed and that the Samaritan showed. And that we would show it to everybody that we come in contact with, Lord. Lord, my prayer, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would make that move and come forward today and accept you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, maybe someone's just sitting here and religion has taken such a hold of their life that they've forgotten about what it is to have a relationship. And Lord, maybe they just need to come up to this altar and give it back to you. Ask for forgiveness for them being like a priest or a Levite or even this expert of the law and open up their hearts to you and give it back to you and work on that relationship with you and with others. And make this prayer in Jesus' name, amen.